0: The World's Greatest Story Part 1 How did we get here? The Minister here, and um, we are starting a new series uh, for February called, as the intro video just said, The World's Greatest Story. That wasn't the original title, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Hello to anyone who's watching on the live stream. Great to have you with us as well. And in case you guys don't know... Uh, you can watch this, at uh, least the sermon, uh, via YouTube. Um, question for you. I'm just looking around, just seeing if we've got any kids in here. Um, when did you stop believing in fairies and Father Christmas and magic and stuff like that? I have a yeah. when was it? What happened? What changed? Because I'm guessing that most of you don't believe in fairies and Father Christmas and magic. Uh, forgive me if I've just burst that bubble... I'm guessing that's not the case. So we've got uh, three children, um, five, eight, and ten, and uh, all, of, all of them still believe in at least a tooth fairy, um, maybe because they get money. Well, there's a financial uh, implication if they didn't believe uh, in, in a tooth fairy. And um, Ellie in particular, our eldest, uh, not only does she like, obviously putting her tooth under the pillow and getting, we give a pound, I don't know if that's normal for everyone. It used to be, I think I used to get 20p. Uh, I don't know what, how inflation works, but a pound gets quite expensive when all those teeth uh, have gone. Um, but she loves putting the tooth underneath the pillow. But what she, what she also does is she writes the tooth fairy a little note. And um, she asks questions, you know, just trying to try and understand a little bit more about the tooth fairy. How does it, how does it work? Which is, which is lovely, but if you're a parent, you probably, re, you know, remember or know that you usually only remember you have got to put the pound under the pillow, literally, just when you're going to bed. And then when you've got to write a nice note as well in some fake handwriting, it gets a little bit stressful. Fortunately, my wife sorts all that out, not me. And it's her fault. I, I think it was your fault because you got to write the letters. So, See, kids, they believe in magic, they believe in fairies, they believe in Father Christmas, they believe in so many possibilities out there. You know, nothing is beyond their reach. There's so much out there for them. But something changes at a certain point in their life when, when they don't believe that anymore. And that kind of leads me on to another question, is when did you, when did you start, stop believing perhaps that everything is going to be okay? When did you stop believing that the world out there is a safe place? My wife used to be an A&E nurse, and we forced to watch 24 hours in A&E, wherever it's on. Uh, and I'm, I was watching it this week, and they were interviewing some, some girls, young lady women who had gone to university and they'd been spiked in a club. Now, in my day, spiking a drink, it was spiking a drink and they'd put something in the drink and it could be a drug, it could be um, strong alcohol. That wasn't the case for these young women. They were injected, they were stabbed, they were literally spiked in a club. And one lady was talking about, you know, we're, we're going through... What they'd gone through, and they were scared. You know what, what had happened. What had been injected with. Had they caught anything? And um, one girl was recounting how she went back to a club for the first time uh, about two months, three months after this had happened, and she found herself in the corner, in, in the where the walls behind her, so no one could get behind her and spike her. Just in floods of tears, because the world had changed for her. It was no longer the safe place just as she had always thought it had been. So the reality is, what we believe is shaped by the people around us and the events and the things that happen to us. And what we believe affects how we interpret the world around us and interact with it. Everything can change through an incident that happens to us. It's all right over there that my camera's not working on the stream. Okay. Got oh, okay. This is Helen, by the way. She's signing. Every first Sunday of every month, I forgot this week, um, but Helen signs. So thank you to Helen. <laughs> what was I saying? I don't know. I don't, I don't, I, yeah. Another thing that changed me a lot and got me really just... It, it affected me is when I was about eight or nine, I was at primary school. I had a teacher I love, Mr. Woods, and he was killed in a car crash. And I still remember my parents... Receiving the phone call and calling me down to explain to me what had happened. And that changed everything for me. From until I was about 19, 20 years old, every time the phone rang, I thought it was someone telling telling me my grandparents had died. It affected everything I am. We must underestimate how we are shaped by things that happen, the events that happen. They change how we perceive the world around us. But it's not just things like that. Actually, shaped by the people that we hang around with. You know, at first it's our parents, and then you probably get to an age. I'm dreading this when my kids get to that age when they suddenly think, I don't like anything you tell me. I like what so and so down the road told me. Or I love that family. I hate your family. This is our family. I don't know. Have you had uh, experience? And suddenly they start to be shaped by people outside the immediate circle that we have control over. And this is probably why many Christian families of a probably more conservative bent will homeschool their children because they want to try and control what it is they're being exposed to. And there's lots of things going on in in Christian circles and controversy around what are my kids being taught at school because that isn't necessarily what I agree with. But we cannot necessarily control what our children are shaped by and what they believe. I found it very interesting. We're going to be looking at in this series a little bit... what it was originally going to be called was the, the world's greatest conspiracy. But I realized that conspiracy is quite a negative term, so I changed it to the world's greatest story. But, but really what we're looking at is, um, what fascinates me is people believe different things depending on um, how they see the world. and Well, how they see the world is depending on the people they met and the things that have happened to them. Do you know that 7% of Brazil's population, that is 11 million people, believe the world is flat? Yeah, it's true. 11 million people, 7% of Brazil's population believe the world is flat. Now, I thought it interesting because you think, why is it they believe that? Because it's not science that's persuaded them that. If you look at all the scientific evidence, the world's round. It's a big ball basically floating in space. But yeah, they believe that it's completely flat. Now, they put some of that down to a rise in, interestingly, Christianity in the country But actually what people say is it's not so much science, it's not so much faith. What it is is a distrust of authorities and institutions. They don't believe what the majority of people are telling them. And that's why people believe that man didn't really walk on the moon or there must have been some sort of nefarious thing behind the assassination of JFK, some big conspiracy, some cabal that we don't know about. And the reality is, if we believe that about one thing, we tend to believe it about all things. If we're liberal about one thing, we tend to be liberal about all things. If we're conservative about one thing, we tend to be conservative about all things. Regardless of whether these things are connected or not, we tend to view the world in a particular way, through a particular lens that colours everything. I remember a guy I used to work with. um, Not only had he seen an alien spaceship, He'd also seen ghosts, okay? Now, I'm not saying whether or not that did happen. That's a whole other sermon. But that's how he viewed the world. And he sincerely believed he was a very intelligent man, yet educated, Yeah, he believed that he had seen an alien spaceship and he'd also seen ghosts. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up if that's your experience as well. But if you tend to believe in one thing, you're probably likely to believe in another. What we're going to do... This month is unpack the worldview of the Bible. Now, if you haven't got a Bible, we're going to be using it this morning. Because It'd be silly to look at the worldview of the Bible without actually using it. There are some Bibles at the back there, which I've got out. You're welcome to draw, get one. If you've got a phone, you might want to download a Bible app. If you haven't got a... They're free. Just search on your app store, Bible uh, and there'll be Bibles that come up. Don't pay for it. If, it's, if you find a paid one, there are some free ones there. But we're going to be looking at the Bible uh, this morning. But over the whole of February, we're going to look at what does the Bible tell us about the world we live in? What lenses does it offer to us to understand and interpret all that happens around us? We're going to be looking, particularly this morning, as the video said, at how did we get here how did we get here? Next week, we're going to be looking at where did it all go wrong at what we as in the Bible called sin. The following week, we're going to look at God's rescue plan, we're looking at Jesus, but actually a far broader picture than that. Then for the last um, Sunday in the month, Daz is going to be talking to us about where, do we, where, are we, where are we going? What happens when we die? That's going to be a fun one. Okay. Um, in addition to that, we're going to be, uh, there's some videos that will appear on YouTube There's um, one on, um, and I've got the interview this week, so I haven't filmed it yet, with a guy called Jason, who's a minister of a church in South London. And he's talking about spiritual realms this idea that there is more to this world than what we see and touch and feel. The physical world actually is a spiritual realm as well. I'm going to see, well, what has he got to say about that? Is it something we believe in? And if we do, how does that affect how we interpret our worlds and live? our lives. And also, interestingly, I had two interviews, two Baptist ministers that have very different understandings and interpretations of what happens in the end times. And is there actually something we call the end times? I'm going to look in particularly at a book called Revelation. So they're going to be appearing on YouTube, and they have very different views, which is very interesting. So we're going to look at that. At least I think it's interesting. But if you've got a Bible... I want you to turn to me right to the very, very beginning, the first page of the Bible. Now, in mind, the first page is just says the Holy Bible. But we're going to move to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Hopefully, you don't need to use the contents page. It's literally right at the very, very beginning. And what we're going to be looking at, we're going to look at this passage, what it tells us, and what we can take away, with it, away, away from it, that helps us when viewing our world and living our lives. Um, and this is, I right at the beginning, you hit controversy. Right at the first page of the Bible, we hit controversy, because there's a huge breadth within our, our Christian tradition and people within our churches about whether we believe in a what's called a literal six-day creation, that God made the world in six days. And if you believe in that, it tends to Bring all sorts of other things as well you know a young earth and we're not going to go, we are not going to go into that this this morning well other people tend to go with the more scientific stuff which is no, we believe in evolution that was kind of discovered by Charles Darwin we might pick up on that later uh, and, and got and God created the universe but he did it in a particular scientific way that we can see in our uh, creation I remember in my first church fresh out of bible college my brain full of stuff that I wanted to share with everyone, and I decided to do a talk on Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2. That was probably a mistake, because I thought I'd come with my interpretation, my understanding. You know, a biblical scholar now, I've done three years at Bible college, not really, but um, I've done those three years. And I remember I turned up with my books, and this other guy turned up from the church with his books, and it was a very big pile of books. He would come to attack, and I went on the defensive, and let's just say it didn't end very well. In fact, I told him to leave the building. So that's how bad it was. This is, this is what happens when you hit these controversies, when what I believe hits what you believe, and they don't seem to agree. We, we hit each other. Not li- Well, sometimes literally, but well, these worlds collide, and we don't know what to do with it. What I want to say in this church, and what I love about this church, and one of our key statements is everyone is welcome. Now we talk about this is while we're doing signing, obviously while we've got brow at the back, while we've got rooms. If you find large, uh, you know, lots of people anxious, you can go in there. Obviously, there's aspect that aspect of being welcome, but actually, regardless of what you believe and think, you are welcome here. But. I believe that I need to share humbly what I believe the Bible tells us about certain things and some of those things you will not agree with. That's fine. That is not a problem. I want you to feel welcome here and able to share your views even if it doesn't you're not agreeing with the person sitting next to you, you're not agreeing with me up the front or whatever. You are welcome. Here. But anyway, let's get into uh, the passage and what it can tell us. And what I'm going to do, uh, it's not going to appear on the screen because I'm, not, I'm just going kind to of jump through it, which is why I said it might be a good idea to have the Bible in front of you. I'm just going to pick up bits and try and just work out what it said. But verse 1, chapter 1, verse 1, the very first thing it says in the Bible, we believe is the God-inspired, God-breathed word of God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens. And the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. When it says heavens and the earth, basically means what's up above and what's down below. Okay, God created it. That's hugely important. Okay, God is the one that did it. Regardless of whether you're a six-day creationist or an evolutionist, as Christians, we believe that God did it. God created it. And it goes on, verse two. Now the earth was formless and Empty. So formless and empty. It was chaotic. It had no purpose. It had no form. There was nothing. There was was something there, but it didn't. It was. It was nothingness. Really, you can't get your head around this, can you? It's just crazy. It says darkness is over the surface of the deep. It's a depth. There's a chaos there. Chaos is quite an important thing here. It's just chaotic. It's no purpose, and so form. It's just a nothingness. But it says these words, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this darkness, in the midst of all this lack of form, God is there and God is about to do something. And the way this chapter is set up, it has six days of of creation. And we have a seventh day of rest. And the first days, one, two, and three, we have God forming creation. So day one, it says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good, and he separated the light from the darkness. See, what God is doing here, he is creating time. He is creating light and darkness, day and night. So what? So we start to see that first step and start to create some form and some order into what is a complete chaotic mess. Day two, let there be a vault between the water to separate water from water. And it's a bit complicated and I'll show you what is happening here in a moment. But basically what God is doing is creating sky and sea, separating the two. So we've got sky up there and sea down there. Day three, I said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place and let dry ground appear. So God's creating land, and see, and you get a bonus on day three. You also create vegetation. So, we've got the world in its basic form we've got the sky, we've got the sea, we've got the land, we've got the vegetation. Now, we need to fill it, and that's the, the next three days. So, days four, five, and six are God filling creation. So, day four, we have um, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night. So, it's sun, moon. Starts day five. So we're looking at verse 20, verse 20. God said, Let the waters team with living creatures and birds fly above the earth. So we got God creating the sea and the, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky. And then finally on day six, and God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kind. So he's creating animals and all the bits that need to fill the land. And as a bonus, what does God create? Us. Humanity, and what we find God saying after every single day, He looks at what He's done and he says, "This is great. I love this. This is good. This is good." But after He creates us, He says, "This is really good. This is very good." Right? This is so. Humanity here is the pinnacle of God's creation, and it's interesting. We we see here that that. It's not just the pinnacle creation. It actually is the pinnacle creation. We are the pinnacle creation because we are created in God's image. Male and female together pointing us towards God's, expressing something of who God's is, being an image of God. That When we look at man and woman together, not singularly, then we see something of God's. And straight away, God says, increase in number, continue filling this world that I've started the process of. Continue doing it, manage it, subdue and rule it. And he gives humanity purpose and direction. And he asks humanity to represent and embody God's in creation. Now, I'm gonna show you this picture before, because you just pop up this picture. I just want to show you, just so you kind of got an understanding of um, the world that is demonstrated through these chapters, which is not quite the same as how we understand the world. Um, But you've got uh, fresh water above, and you've got fresh water below, and salt water. So when it says you separate the sky, waters from waters, is actually, they, they believe there was water above and water below and the sky in between. In one of the songs we just su- sung, it said, who's seen seven, seven? <laughs> heavenly storehouses laden with snow? It's the belief that actually above the, the dome of the sky and the universe, there were stores of snow and water. And when it snowed, it came through. And when it rained, it came through. So it was stored up there. Um, and then there's this whole sort of chaos, salt waters, ocean, let's just say the Israelites weren't seafaring people and they didn't really like the sea, and to them it was dangerous and chaotic and sea monsters and all this uh, sort of stuff. So it just gives you a rough idea about how they visualise the world. Okay, that's enough. Thank you. So, I'll just get to this question. So what? So what? When I was at Bible college, when the lecturers uh, said, you know, what do we believe about God? And so What? We can believe all sorts of things about God, but how is it having an effect on what we believe and how does what we believe have an effect on what we do and think and say and live our lives? So I want to look at, just quickly, what is this passage primarily saying about God and us? Primarily, okay? Number one, we've already picked up on this. God created it all. God created it all. And that is so important to remember and so important to understand. And not only did God create it all, but he created it with order and purpose. I think what we're seeing a lot in our society, in our world today, is this: if we remove God, the creator, from the equation, actually we as humans can do whatever we want. I can be whoever I want to be. I can do whatever I want to do with my body. I can do whatever I want to do with my world because there is no God up there who's created it with an order and a purpose. So if we don't believe in that, well, I might as well do whatever I want. And that is so much what we're seeing in our worlds today. But I want to say to you that God has done nothing by chance. And there is purpose built into the design of creation. And I believe there is a purpose built into your life as well. God has something He wants you to do. He has designed you to be a certain way, to think a certain way, to act a certain way that is set apart from anyone else. There is stuff that only you can do. So don't try and be like someone else because they've got their own thing to do. And you have got the thing that you want to do. God has created you. For a purpose. And everything God makes is good, and when he looks at us, he goes, "This is really good." And when God looks at you, he thinks exactly the same way. Well, I love what Phil said the other week. "God loves us just the way we are." He looks at you, and goes, "Wow, I made I made you." But He loves you too much to leave you that way. He has a purpose for you and maybe your life is chaos and living in a chaotic world and you lack purpose and direction but God has got purpose and direction for your life he has created you in a particular way for a particular task so God created all bringing order and purpose out of chaos to creation that's you number three what we can pick up from this passage is humanity is God's representative, male and female coming together to represent God's in this world? There is an equality across humanity, regardless of sexuality, gender, ethnicity, color of skin. It is equality so much so that William Wilberforce, that kind of was the big name behind the, uh, the freeing of slaves, the end of slavery. He said this says. Am I not a man and a brother? Regardless of who you are, where you are from, the color of your skin, we are equal. And we stand before God as equal. And that is a huge thing to remember. And particularly when we find people we don't believe, who disagree with what we believe, it's very easy to see them as, well, you're a bit stupid, aren't you? Because, you know, I'm more clever because obviously I'm right and you're wrong, so you must be a bit stupid. Actually, no, they just see things differently. They're shaped by different world events and there's a quality. And regardless of whether they are a Christian or a not, or any faith or no faith, they are equal to you and me. And that's such a hugely important filter through which to, to view the world around us. But lastly, number four, and this is the one that I really want us to take away. You can, God, you'll take away whatever you want from this sermon, but this is the one that really struck me. And this is number four: that God dwells with us. So, going back to our uh, passage um, in chapter two, it says, "Thus, the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished." the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because he rested from all his work of creating that he, of creating that he had done. This idea of resting is a bit of an odd one because God didn't really need to rest particularly. And what you get very much across in this, this passage is that just God spoke and it happens. There's no effort here, which is very much a contrast to some of the creation myths that were around in, in other, relation, other um, cultures of that time. They believe there was war in heaven and all this sort of stuff. Actually, in here, it just says God spoke and it happens. So it's a bit weird, this idea of God resting. But actually, what we've got here is God not just resting, but dwelling in his creation, sitting and resting and going, this is great. You ever do that when you've created something? Maybe you've decorated your lounge and you're sitting there going, I did this. I'm quite chuffed with myself, really. Isn't it nice? You just sit there and you just rest. You go, ah, oh, this is nice. This is what we find God doing here. And just one thing to pick up on this. For all the other six days, it says every single time, it says, and there was evening and there was morning, and it's the next day. We have these divisions of day, day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six. Day seven, it doesn't have that. There is no end to the seventh day. We are in the seventh day. God is resting and dwelling in his creation. And that's really the goal of creation, that God will dwell with us. Working together as a team to manage the creation that God has created. Now, something went wrong. And I'm not going to pick up on that now because that is a theme of next week's uh, sermon. Something went wrong, but that was the goal. And God does dwell with us. Just two things quickly. I'm aware of time uh, or maybe one thing. I don't know. See how we get on. What we mean by this is not that God is in creation, okay? So sort of the, sort of the more um, Eastern kind of mysticism, um, stuff that you do with yoga and crystals and all this sort of stuff is the idea that God, God, the deity, is in creation. Therefore, if we take a bit of creation like a crystal, we can get some spiritual healing. That is not what the Bible says, and that's not what Christians believe. That's not the worldview of the Bible. Okay, it says that God is separate to creation, it's distinctive, he's different, he's not the same as us. But having said that, God is not distant from creation. This is the idea of the sort of the, the idea of a watchmaker where God just winds up, makes the, the, the watch, winds it up, and just leaves it going. That's also not what the Bible says. There's this idea of God being otherly and different, but also of God being there with us. I love that song that we sang, uh, the first song, I'm a friend of God. This is the truth of the Bible, and the story that we're told in here, is that we, as this human beings, so weak, so frail, whose lives are so relatively short, can be friends and have an intimate relationship with the God that created the heavens and the earth, whose hands flung stars into space. We can have a relationship with Him. I'm going to come to an end now. We're going to take just the time just to reflect. We're going to watch a video, just read a psalm. Psalms like the songbook of the the Re- israelites of the jewish nation where they just sung about god and life and stuff like that so we're going to listen to uh one of those being read and this is going to be some questions just to get you thinking uh, about uh what i've said today and give you just an opportunity to listen to god so let's uh, listen to that now psalm 8. Verses 1 and 3 to 5. O Lord, our Lord, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. When I look at the night sky and I see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you set in place, what are mere mortals that you should think about them, human beings that you should care for them? Yet you made them only a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honour. Do you know that God created you and doesn't make mistakes? How does it make you feel to know that God has created you for a purpose? God is with you and will never desert you, is that a promise you need to take to heart?